You are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Economical, personal, evolving. Charles Halka writes music for concert, dance, and opera. His works are often inspired by language, visual imagery, movement, and human experience. He's currently on faculty at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, where he teaches composition, orchestration, theory, and ear training. His work, Puerla Fuerza Las Hieres, was just released on the new album by the Mexican ensemble Onyx, Furia y Silencio, which they subsequently toured in the U.S., including at the Kennedy Center. You can find Charles online at charleshalka.com or at charleshalka on Twitter. So let's talk about Puerla Fuerza Las Tierras. All right. I can't, I can't say it. <laughs> you say it. It sounds much better when you say it. Por la fuerza las tierras. Yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> which means uh, take the lands by force. Yes. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, uh, it's actually, I think, lifted from um, some biography about uh, uh, Emiliano Zapata, the major um, Mexican revolutionary figure. Um, it was a suggestion by uh, the, the, the director of the ensemble that, con- that uh, commissioned the piece, I think. And that was uh, that was Onyx, right? Yeah, yeah. They're uh, they're based in Mexico City, um, and they do a lot of new music. And they put out I guess this will be their seventh album that they put out of all new music. I mean, they're a, they're a Pierrot ensemble, so they do generally newer pieces. The piece was indebted to certain uh, Mexican musical styles, right? Right. So is the are these quotations or is it just the flavor of Mexican music? Because it would it all certainly was. It certainly was all familiar sounding, but it was nothing that I could place. Right. Yeah. It's. It's. I mean, it's not that I know of. Um, uh, it, it's all in the style of. It's nothing. Nothing quoted. Um, the uh, the slower middle section definitely sounds like something that could could have been quoted. Uh, and I, I tried to imagine. Yeah, definitely. I tried to imagine some, um, you know, make believe um, uh, lyrics in Spanish. Uh, you know. This, you know. Most. Um, words they have accent on the penultimate syllable and so that melody kind of has an accent on the well the penultimate note of the of the phrase um, right so you can you can imagine it being you know being some kind of a, a ranchera uh, song being so well and you and you actually have a big connection to mexico yeah anyway I've, right yeah i've been um so I, I went to a spanish immersion program for elementary school and i've been going to mexico every summer well, almost every summer since I think after first grade, um, and so I've got lots of friends there um, who I met before I was you know, really that seriously into music, um, and only recently, I guess since 2010, uh, have I begun to be more involved on the musical side there, and it's mostly um, with people who are based in Mexico City. Um, yeah, and so I, I've, I've had a lot, I mean, in high school I used to listen to um, lots of mariachi music um, and some other uh uh, Latin music that's not from Mexico, but I think it's a big part of mm-hmm. uh, kind of what I absorbed growing up. I think if there was one thing I had to say about your music, if I was to give you an adjective, mm-hmm. I would say that your music is controlled. <laughs> and I think this piece, I, I think this piece certainly shows, I think that level of control. So can you, I mean, can you talk about just how, how the piece is constructed and, you know, the, the ideas going into it? Yeah, so it, it starts out with um, a more or less uh, complete theme, for lack of a better word, uh, or um, section of music. And that section of music gets, gets kind of presented um, over and over again. And each time it's broken up more and more and interrupted, uh, new, new uh, material is inserted. Uh, but because the original material is kind of really simple, uh, in my opinion, um, I think that it you know never lose track of it despite all the interruptions. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some very um, kind of stereotypical sounding melodies that kind of hinge on one five five one in terms of harmonies, um, and so it's it's easy to keep track of that even when they're interrupted. And so I, I kind of I use that the fact that they're so recognizable and and um, and easily um, uh, trackable. Uh, is an opportunity to to insert lots of playful material and lots of um, uh, kind of surprises, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then you know has has the middle section that's kind of reflective. Um, that's the slower um, 
larger middle section, and which you know steadily gains speed. And it gets, goes back into the original ones. It's it, in that sense, it's kind of uh, you know ABA-ish, I would say, um, which has worked for a long time. A ABA with a transition between the B and the final uh, A. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, it's 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 worked for a long time. So it worked here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a mainstay, right? Yeah. The idea was to feature uh, heavily the the flute and the violin. The violin being kind of that. Since we're talking about the Mexican Revolution, um, we're we're dealing largely with uh, you know imported European culture and then indigenous culture. And and to me, the the violin obviously represented uh, that imported European culture. And flute, mm -hmm. while it's a modern Know, European instrument, you know, you find flutes and uh, nearly every every culture it, around the world. Exactly, exactly. So the, those, it's it was kind of um, uh, supposed to be a back and forth between those two instruments in in many ways, uh, and then supported by the other instruments as well. <laughs>
Very cute ending, by the way. <laughs> oh right, yeah, it's, it's definitely the, the standard uh, mariachi ending. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the build building that the five seven chord and hitting the tonic chord twice. Uh, very quietly. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no, it's usually not quiet, but yeah. So that maybe yeah. maybe it's it's cuter in that sense. Yeah, I think so. And it's not mariachi music, so it's gotta I gotta do something different. <laughs> Let's talk about live bass improv. Let me start out by saying that I love this piece. I've used it to teach students about form every year since you wrote it. And I think what's so great about it is there are absolutely zero two-minute pieces that are interesting to listen to and that are well-constructed. Huh. I mean, like, I mean, there there are very few two-minute pieces in general that are just like standalone pieces, you know, not attached to a set of miniatures or uh, a movement in a larger piece. So, um, and you know, this is a, this is like a tight two minutes. You know, it's it's very it's very well well constructed and organized, and um, all of the, I mean, I I remember when you when you wrote this because this all came out of a recording session for another project with a bassist who was at at uh, the Shepherd School at Rice University with us. Her, her name is Bella Leslie, and um, we were recording sounds from the bass for a project that we were working on in the in the rem labs and can you talk about that and then what you eventually did with those sounds yeah well i think that's maybe why you like it so much it's got a little piece of you in it uh because <laughs> yeah that's that's the reason right there okay <laughs> i'm such an egotist that i i love the thing of yours that is a little bit of me yeah it's like like like, like your your illegitimate son that you you can't introduce yourself to yet you watch with pride from afar uh, so well, I would like to say that I was the one pressing record on that session. That's right. So, that's right. <laughs> that's that's correct. It takes a certain te technique to to get the to time press space bar. Right. Uh, no, that no. It, it was it was it was great. We had it was um it was you know more than just you and me. There were it must have been like five or six of us in there. Yeah, I think that was you and me and uh, Ben. Mm -hmm. Ben Krause. So we we just had, um, uh, I think a couple weeks ago, we we had uh, Ben Krause's podcast, and then I think was Bryce in there. I think Bryce must have been in there. Uh, Bryce Bryce Ingram and then Derek Jenkins. Yeah. Right. The Rem Labs had just bought uh, the Cabo, uh -huh. the the base bow with all the um, you know that's basically a, a sensor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so the piece that we made that we did for the Cabo. Which is a collaborative piece. We used those sounds. I mean, we had, you know, certain things that Bella did trigger uh, those sounds and playback. Um, and I think think that was the best part of the the piece that we made was the, the recorded sounds. I mean, they're they're clean. They were yeah, they're really clean. Yeah, and they're they're you know really varied. Um, and so I, I guess my idea was to um, take those sounds and uh, I mean, as as the name of the 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 piece implies it's it's a uh, you know supposed to be kind of a uh, an illusion uh, of a, a a bass player playing this really virtuosic improvisation you know, that wouldn't be humanly possible obviously I mean especially you know the fact that the bass harmonics are just as loud as you know some of the really as anything else yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but 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 which could sound plausible to someone who maybe wasn't a bassist it sounds like something that a bassist is doing that's really cool there's not too much going on at one time that where it would, it would sound like an ensemble or something. Uh, so it's kind of like treating, treating the recordings as 
uh, a kind of foundation of a super base of sorts. Um, right. But one one thing that a I hyper a hyper base. Hyper base. Yeah. Uh, I, and I guess one thing that I took away from that that you know I've been collecting sounds is is I want to eventually do more short kind of miniature pieces for fixed you know fixed media that use uh, only one object as the sound source, but but which can get that variety of sounds. So your orchestra piece, Impact. Um, the recordings that we're going to hear, they're going to be excerpts, and they are excerpts because they're from the Cabrillo Festival Orchestra. So you're, you're kind of not allowed to post the whole thing. Right, right? I, get, I can post two minutes maximum. I mean, total. Yeah, so, <laughs> but, I mean, for, like for an orchestra, you know, amazing. Yeah, the Cabrillo Festival Orchestra, that's, that's probably the best possible situation you could imagine, or one of the best possible situations you could imagine as far as people being enthusiastic about playing your orchestra piece. Because everyone's there is, you know, they're from orchestras around the country, um, some of them like, you know, the Atlanta Symphony, uh, Baltimore Symphony. Uh, so major orchestras, uh, and... Um, they're picked, they're invited there because they've expressed interest in playing new music. So every single person in that orchestra is there because they have an interest in playing those, those pieces. And they're, they're, they want to do things that are, are um, outside the box. Not kind of, like, kind of like a new music all-stars for an orchestra or something. Yeah, you know, I will say that, that there aren't too many, I would say, um, avant-garde orchestra pieces that are done at that festival. But at least mm. it's all music by living composers. Um, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, the, everyone during rehearsal will come up to you and, and tell you, uh, you know, sincerely what they like about the piece or what you could do better. They, they really try to find out what your idea was and, um, and then tell you how you can make it better or whether it was successful or difficult to play, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I actually had that similar experience in Hong Kong. Oh, great. With Hong Kong Phil. Yeah, they, they again, they, I mean, they were hired specifically to play new music in this in this particular festival but yeah they were they were very open and and uh generous with their with their comments and then like suggestions yeah i would say yeah so the overall goal for, can you can you talk about the overall goal for this piece because in the program notes you were talking about thuds or impacts that kind of create shards of harmonic or melodic material that continue to develop on their own and i think we're, we're you know we're going to hear one of the excerpts we're going to hear is the opening and it, it really illustrates that that point but 
this is a very visual description. Is that is that kind of part of your you know part of your compositional process or, or thinking in visual terms? Uh, short answer is yes, and I think it's. Um, and now I'm going to the long answer, I guess. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think it might it might stem from the little work I've done in uh, uh, electronic music. Is you know, and, and now that I'm I'm teaching composition, I've I've got a student who's writing uh, a tape piece, and um, so I can talk to him about these uh, about music in terms of well, non harmonic, non melodic, non rhythmic yeah, uh, detail gesture. Yeah, and 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 I I tend to use lots because I'm a very visual person. Um, uh, I like looking at the score when I'm listening to something. Um, I usually can't listen to something and and read something at the same time if it's not related to what I'm listening to. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, I think that's that has a big um, uh, uh, impact, so to speak, <laughs> on on how nice right? way to work in the title <laughs> <laughs> on how <laughs> on how I uh, 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 approach music now. Um, yeah, very. I'm a very visual person, and and that I think finds its way into how I describe things musically as well. Since this was my dissertation piece for my degree, okay, like that—that's something in particular that I want to talk about. It, because this was your dissertation piece, like I want to, and, and I mean, we were writing our dissertations at the exact same time. Right. So I'm curious as to what your what your experience was. Uh, you mean experience writing the piece, or? Yeah, I mean, because we 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 had the same teacher, you know, yeah. we were both studying with Art Art Gottschalk, and we pretty much had the same deadlines. Yeah, and you know, we we graduated at the same time. Like every everything was happening at the same time. So, I know that my experience during that time wasn't so fun, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like I, I I talked about that on on the on the podcast that was like my podcast, but I'm just curious as to what yours, yours was. Yeah, like. well, it was a little bit, I, I felt pretty good about the, the writing of the piece. I felt, you know, a little bit under pressure to finish it. The worst part though, wasn't writing the music. It was coming up with the title. And I, I, you, you, you probably, <laughs> I remember that. You probably yeah. Rem- yeah. You remember that, that we have to submit our dissertation online and along with the title. And I, you know, I was happy with the piece, but I never, I never, I mistakenly never come up with uh, titles before I start writing the piece, and I'm going to start doing that a lot more now. But that's always the hardest thing, is you know I would say most composers know. Um, and uh, I had a bunch of possible titles, and you know it was 15 minutes till I had to submit. And uh, in 15 minutes, you were up to the you were up to the line that far. You had 15 minutes yeah, to submit. Yeah, and so Im- impact was the one that best <laughs> described what was going on uh, in the piece. So, All right. So, uh, Not deep impact, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hadn't hadn't just nope. hadn't just seen that movie. <laughs> no Morgan Freeman in that. Uh, right. Anyway. <laughs> Although you, I mean, you you could you could perform that piece with some narration, some Morgan Freeman narration. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, but um, yes, yeah, so that yeah, the process was 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 fine. Um, but the the um, kind of liberating thing was the fact. Well, I had two options. I had the option of writing a piece, since it was for our dissertation, and you know, students would be performing it, and we right. could ask. We don't have to worry about you know, the orchestra paying doubling fees and that kind of thing. Um, I could either write a piece that was playable at many places. I don't like a chamber orchestra piece, 
that I could submit to lots of opportunities, or I could write the piece that uh, that would never get performed again, but which I knew would be performed at least once, and I could kind of pull all the stops out. Um, yeah, exactly. And so yeah, I've got I've got all three flutes doubling piccolo. I've got uh, s uh, some two people doubling, no, three people doubling the clarinets. I've undergone some revisions. I've got, uh, what else do I have? I've got, you know, anything else I guess is standard doubling, but the, but the flutes and the, the clarinets I think was a little bit, um, you know, pushing it in terms of what's standard uh, mm -hmm. for most, most uh, professional orchestras. And, and does, that, does that kind of limit you? Yeah, so if I want to submit it to some other um, call for scores uh, that it usually asks for, you know, if they ask for triple wins, it usually says one person doubling in the win, right. in the flutes, one person doubling something in the, the clans. Yeah, of course. Uh, and so I can't really submit it to many, many places. Um, but surprisingly, uh, before it was performed at Rice, it was accepted for performance in Mexico City, which is where it was premiered. Uh, it, they have a festival there every year. Uh, uh, it's the International New Music Forum. And um, then it was performed at Rice, and then it was picked up at, uh, uh, at Cabrillo. I had sent, <laughs> this is kind of a funny story there, I had sent a different piece, an earlier piece, and this kind of will tie into the conversation about this piece eventually. Um, but I had sent this earlier piece, and when I had just aged out of their uh, composer-conductor workshop that they do every year at Cabrillo, mm -hmm. yep. um, and I had asked, you know, can I still send the piece? I, I, I just turned 30 or whatever the, whatever the cutoff age was. And they said, no, sorry, you can't submit, but just, just send it anyway. And I'm sure it ended up in some pile somewhere. of People, people <laughs> sending their, their unsolicited scores to Cabrillo Festival. Um, right. And uh, a week before it was performed at, uh, uh, Impact was performed at Rice, I got an email from the director of the festival asking if I had a recording of that older piece I said, yeah, sure, I've got it, and I sent it along. I also have this rec have a this newer piece that's about the same, the same duration. Uh, I'll just send it along in case you're interested in that as well. And they were interested in that piece, over the older one. Uh, nice. So the older one could have been, maybe could have been performed, but they liked this one better. And so I just by by luck or you know um, uh, crazy circumstances, it ended up at the Carrillo Festival, which was a, an amazing experience. So, tying that older piece back into the composition of the newer piece, you can edit this however you see fit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Something else I was thinking about when I was writing this piece was uh, my first orchestra piece, which was uh, largely composed using kind of a layered approach. Uh, mm -hmm. And for this piece, I wanted to use the orchestra as more of a, a large organism, a single large, like kind of, again, hyper-instrument. Uh, yeah. and kind of paint with broader strokes that way um, and see what kind of colors I could get using the entire orchestra. Not at all at the same time, but uh, uh, kind of having it move is like a, like a, a flock of birds or something. Uh, right, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was my, my kind of aesthetic goal in terms of orchestration uh, with, with this piece. So let's talk about To the Brim. This was written with and for Lydia Hance, right? right. Of, of Frame, Frame Dance Productions. Yeah. Who will actually be on this podcast in a, in a few weeks, I oh, think. Oh, nice. Um, 
I remember the pr- I remember just kind of talking to you while you were in the process of working on this with Lydia and that that whole process I thought was very interesting. So can you can you talk about actually writing the piece with I, I mean Lydia is a choreographer and a dancer and I really felt like you two were writing the piece together. Yeah, and that, that's what that's what I liked so much about it and <clears throat> kind of what I hope I can do again sometime. Uh if I first um, well, collaboration with Lydia was was you know through the competition she has every year, and then she performs right the f- frame dance comp uh, frame dance composition co- is it just frame dance competition comp- composition co- god damn it <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the frame dance composition competition there it is jeez <laughs> oh, yeah uh, yeah and then they and they choreograph um, uh, an existing work. Uh, as part of that competition. Which one was that? It's actually part of the Fuerza. No. Oh, it was. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. And, okay. So, and, and some it. other ones. Um, but, the, but the main focus of that event was, uh, was, the, was Puerto de Fuerza. And uh, so that was my first collaboration with her. Uh, it, because they were already, the pieces were already written, my, my collaboration was somewhat limited. Uh, so this time, uh, we wanted to... I can't remember who, how we came up with this idea. But but uh, we wanted to be very tightly integrated um, in terms of, of the dance with the music, and we eventually came up with the idea that we do both at the same time. So before I wrote any music at all, uh, I went to see one of Lydia's um, uh, rehearsals. And the way Lydia works is that she does a lot of play, like a lot of improvising, uh, when mm-hmm. she's coming up with her choreography. And so I got to see you know, some ideas that didn't make it into the final product and, and some that did. But the overall, I had to see the overall kind of, uh, um, edit this pause out. <laughs> I got to see the overall. <laughs> I, I, I only were... All this is staying in. It's going to be great. <laughs> only when I came up with this flavor, the, the overall, help me out. Uh, the overall aesthetic. The overall theme, I would say, of the piece. Yeah. I, I, oh, not aesthetic. That's not. That's too much of a. Yeah. With the overall. It's too much for you. Yeah, I guess I saw the overall theme or aesthetic. We'll put it. <laughs> we'll put it, put it that way. Good luck editing that. So. The, <laughs> that's gonna. I'm not. I'm not gonna do it. It's all in. <laughs> the, so the overall aesthetic was one of of kind of restraint, um, uh, restrained emotion, but but kind of really uh, uh, intense emotion that was uh, kind of bubbling to the surface, which is kind of how the piece got its name, to the brim, kind of, kind of about to bubble over or to, right. to boil over. Um, it's a great title, by the way. Yeah. I'm, it's very evocative. Yeah, it's much, much better than some of my other titles. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it was one that... I'm, I'm staying silent. Yeah. <laughs> and it, was, it was one that I came up with after, I wrote, after, we, after we finished the piece, um, so that, that, that's surprising. Um, that we found well, it had a different. I I remember a different title too. Yeah, the the other title was a long line, um, which also made sense for the piece because it was. This... I thought there was another. I thought there was another something similar to to the brim, mm-hmm. like to the to the edge or to the to the top or I I don't know something like that. I may or am I just remembering that wrong? Maybe I I may have been juggling some possible titles and told you about that might have been one of those conversations that you and steve and ben and i had at valhalla or something when when we were just messing with right you. <laughs> and, I, and I'm, yeah, I'm sure it, it it involved suggesting something totally inappropriate yeah yeah totally <laughs> that's what that place is for right. <laughs> uh sorry to i mean i i think i've mentioned valhalla on this podcast before but to anyone who doesn't know at at Rice University there's a a graduate student pub called Valhalla which is just the basement of what the psychology building Yes <laughs> I mean I I I can't remember <laughs> but it's the basement of some, some It doesn't it really doesn't matter what building it is because on, the only people the, the only thing people know it as is Valhalla so it, it it's a bar that uh well let's see at this point Mark and Ben and Chris Walzak have all been on this podcast. So it's a place that all of us went to get incredibly drunk <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah, and to say how we really felt. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> so anyway, to the brim. Continue. Yeah, so uh, I got to see the overall theme of the of the piece, which was was one of restraint, restrained emotion, intense emotion that is being held back. Uh, and so I, I, I came up with basically a violin lick uh, or a couple of violin licks that, that uh, I recorded. Uh, I knew who my performer was going to be, she, her, uh, uh, Micah Brightwell. Uh, right. Uh, she's based in Boston still, I'm pretty sure, unless she moved. Yeah, she's still in Boston. Uh, but great, great violinist and, and kind of one of our, our go-to performers when we were at Rice for performing uh, new pieces. Yeah, I mean, she's... Uh, she Well, this piece of yours and her performing it uh was one of the big reasons that i wanted i wanted to write a piece for for violin that eventually became my piece for violin percussion at water's edge but it was it was really because of seeing this piece for solo violin and hearing her perform it and also going to her recital where she performed uh the boulez uh anthems number the first anthems not with electronics just the solo violin and i mean those those experiences watching her in particular because she i mean she's an amazing violinist so like we were um she she performed on a piece of mine she performed on pieces of yours i mean we were really lucky to get to work with her absolutely so i i knew who i'd be working with and and you know as far as instrumentation goes that i had toyed with the idea of using um live electronics or using amplification or some kind of effects pedal which ultimately because of logistics um was was nixed um but i i had her rec- had uh, micah record these uh these violin excerpts and i sent them to lydia and that inspired lydia to write to to, uh, uh, to come up with a certain kind of choreography that was an extension of what she had already done and then you know i would be at almost every rehearsal watching what she was doing and taking notes uh you know what the particular movements were approximate timings which was hard to do because uh they were they tended to be different every time where they would work on things in pieces uh and then i would send her more some more music and then towards the end of the the uh the process i think we started doing bigger chunks uh of of choreography and music and so it was less tightly um uh, uh intertwined by the end of the process Mm-hmm. But still, it was kind of true for the entire process. This this simultaneous writing of the music and and coming up with the choreography. And I think it made for a really a really kind of organic performance with dance. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the the way you're describing it is actually like almost kind of like like being in a band or something like that, and coming up with you know write, like writing a song with other people yeah. you know you're right you're you're writing it in the process like or, or in the in the moment rather yeah like you're you're all contributing and like that that's very attractive that to me like that's more attractive than you know okay well i'm gonna write the piece and then i'm gonna send it to the dancer and then she's gonna do the dancing i mean that that's that's the typical uh mode of collaboration between composers Mm. and dancers but i thought what you did um was was much more probably a much more satisfying process of writing absolutely i mean that's and that's kind of one of the things i miss about i mean as a pianist i didn't most pianists they sit in a practice room by themselves all day so it's kind of kind of doing the same thing now but the thing i miss most about being a pianist officially is uh is 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 chamber (laughs) playing chamber music uh, yeah. And even even before I was uh, I started my piano degree, I was playing in bands in high school, and that was that's kind of you know one of the most fun things I've done as a musician. Uh, and so, so that's that's what I miss.
How can people how can people find the the video of this piece with dance? If they go to YouTube, I think it's YouTube. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's YouTube, and they type in well, Hulka to the brim. It it'll it'll come up. That's conceited. Yeah. <laughs> Lydia did this too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think if, I think if you uh, if you either search for Frame Dance uh, Frame Dance Productions. And look at all of their videos. It is it is one of the videos there. Or I think that's the search that I did earlier was uh, To the Brim and Halka. Yeah. And it pops up immediately. Yeah, lots of things pop up immediately when you Google Halka. <laughs> Man, you are throwing down a challenge right now. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to find some dirt about you. <laughs> no, no, was, I, my, that was my that was my uh, my uh, sexical tones joke. Sexical tone. Hey man, what? Things pop up. That's awesome. Things pop up. Yeah, lo- lots of things pop up and dangle. Anyway, um, last question. <laughs> last question. Uh, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? Like we're talking about your your origin story. How did the Hulkinator um, come to be? Ooh. After emerging from the protoplasmic brine, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could I could improvise on that. I can turn that. Uh, so I, I I was uh, <laughs> I started piano when I was really young, and so I, I was. Um, I did, so you were one of those. Yeah, uh, but then I was invited to play keyboards for my brother's band, and. I thought that was more fun because. What was the name of that band again? Uh-uh. <laughs> Not going to aid your search. Uh, uh, actually, I can't think right now. Yeah, no, it's a really embarrassing name, so I'm not going to tell you. And you actually can't find it online. Uh, but anyway, so I started playing in that band, and that band evolved into another band, which evolved into another band. But uh, before that, I hadn't played with in that collaborative setting before, and so that's what I thought was the funnest thing in the world. I was was playing music with other people and and actually improvising music. So I, before I composed, I was improvising. Maybe not well, and certainly not well now because I don't improvise as much as I used to. Um, uh, and ended up doing that more than practicing my piano repertoire in the practice room. And then kind of a, I think that's the story of every single composer. Yeah. Like you start out as a as something uh-huh. you know some sort of instrumentalist and then you stop practicing and just start improvising yeah that i mean that's certainly my my story as well yeah yeah and then i just kind of naturally i said well i should start writing some of this stuff down and yeah sorry to not have anything uh extra interesting actually i know i can say something interesting which is that uh, when i was improvising more i accompanied um uh a very famous Russian poet, um, Yevgeny Yevtushenko, who was the poet for um, uh, some of Shostakovich's pieces, most uh, notably the... Um, God, that's such, such an asshole phrase to use. Most notably. Most notably. Uh, <laughs> uh, the most well-known piece, Shostakovich piece, is the, uh, is, uh, that uses his poetry is the 13th Symphony, the Bobby Yar Symphony. Oh, right, right, right. And, yeah. um, but he actually teaches, he teaches in uh, Oklahoma, in Tulsa, where I'm from. And... Uh, so he spends half the year there teaching Russian poetry and uh, um, Russian cinema. And then he spends, I think, the summers in, in Russia. Um, or maybe it's, it doesn't matter. So I told him, I invited him to come see one of my concerts, and he invited me to p- perform with him at, at the University of Tulsa, um, just improvising while he performed his poetry. When he performs poetry, it's not like you'd imagine, like a, like a, the, I know some slam poetry uh, performance. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's basically acting out in, you know, jumping all over the stage, um, crouching down, and exp- wow. uh, 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 really, you know, getting into it. Um, and, and so, uh, I would improvise on the piano while he would perform this poetry, and then we ended up uh, doing some performances in Russia, in, in Moscow, and in Saint Petersburg. Uh, this is during my undergrad. Um, what were those improvisations like? Uh, so I would, in front of me on the piano, I would have uh, the text that he was performing, because he never really performed it the exact same way twice, but I would just make little notes of things that he would do consistently. 
and I'd use those as kind of landmarks where I would jump ahead. And, and so they were kind of planned out improvisations in a way, uh, but I had to adjust them on the fly because... Just like a, lo like a loose structure. Exactly, yeah. Um, and some of them were, you could say, uh, like a, a, some of them were like a waltz, depending on what the, if, the, if the poem was about something that had to do with European culture, which are some of his poems about, this, about um, Russia's place between uh, European culture and Eastern culture. Uh, mm -hmm. And so some of it was that, and then others were more, um, for lack of a, a, a different word, atonal uh, improvisations. Um, they had to do with what, what was going on in the poetry. So it was, it was still kind of like a, like a cinematic approach where some of it was more dissonant. It was probably in a moment in the poetry where that had to do with angst or, or war or something like that. And then the, you know, the sweet music for the sweet parts and so forth. Um, but to kind of cut the story off and get to my, to my point, uh, was he asked me one time, uh, he asked to hear some of the stuff I had written. I said, I, I haven't written anything. And he thought that it was um, impossible that I could perform music and not also write music. Uh, just like someone who enjoys poetry or who reads poetry should also be writing poetry as well at some point in their life. And so um, I, I remembered that when I decided to, uh, to, well, to take my minor lessons in composition and to actually start writing things down and make that transition to become a composer. And I had the idea that I'd keep up with my piano at the same time, but uh, that hasn't worked out so well. <laughs> Lately, at least, uh, I can I can I can I can still I can still throw down, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what can you throw down? Um, got some mad chopsticks. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks for doing this, man. Uh, what can what can we plug of yours? Let's see. Uh, you're on you're on Facebook, Charles Halka Composer Facebook, right? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. You're on Twitter. At, What's at your Charles Halka? At Charles Halka. Yeah. Uh, uh, your website is charleshalka.com. Yeah. What, what uh, else? You got, a, you got a LinkedIn or something? I do have a LinkedIn. <laughs> Seriously? Jo join my network. <laughs> <laughs> be, my, be my connection. Uh, Snapchat? Uh, it's Vine? Instagram? No. That's, I, I, I draw the line Instagram. Yeah. Your yeah. your Snapchat is too inappropriate for for public <laughs> consumption. Right, right. <laughs> I I've got I've got notes you've never seen before. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. How are things in China? You know, Chinese. That's what I heard. This is gonna be a hard ending. Uh, we don't really have an ending yet. <laughs> <laughs> for China. No, for this man. <laughs> Usually, what I've what I've done in the past is just like wait till they say something profound and then just stop it. Yeah, you didn't do that. <laughs> what have I been thinking about lately that's profound? Probably nothing. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.